morning. I'd like you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles, with you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's our second time in verses 12 to 31. And this is a passage where Paul tells us that we, the church, are the body of Christ. We're not an organization, we're an organism. An organization is a structured system. An organism is a living system. We are the body of Christ. His life flows through us. Every individual member in the body of Christ has the life of Christ in you. This morning I want to look at this passage in terms of three things we need to understand to really be the body of Christ. Number one is the attributes. Number two is the attitude. And number three is the application. First of all, the attributes. And there are two attributes of a body that need to be applied in the church. And those two attributes are unity and diversity. First of all, unity. In verse 12, he tells us the body is one. And we have one body. And then in verse 13, he says, by one spirit, we were baptized into one body. We are one. In Ephesians 4.4, Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 5, Paul says, We who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We are one. We are united. Now, the Corinthians needed to hear that because they were divided. Paul tells them in chapter 1 and verse 11, I've been informed that there are divisions among you. In chapter 3, verse 3, he says, there is jealousy and strife among you. In chapter 6, he tells them that there were individuals in the church who were suing other individuals in the church. In chapter 8, he tells them that they are defrauding each other. In chapter 11, he describes their love feast and says they're coming together to have a love feast together and they're eating their meals separately in selfishness. So the Corinthians needed to hear about unity. And I think if we're honest, we need to hear about unity as well. We are one body, united by one spirit. We are a living organism in which there is unity. Second attribute is diversity. Because he says in verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. I have one body, yet I have many members, and they are all diverse. Some are large, some are small, some are complex, some are simple, some are seen, some are unseen. No two are alike. And it's it's the same in the body of Christ. We are one, and yet we are made up of a diverse group of individuals, and that's the way God intends it to be. God doesn't want us all to be the same. In the body of Christ, we are just like a human body. We have unity and diversity, and both are essential. In fact, you cannot have unity without diversity. 
If you're working at an auto plant and you all got together for a meeting, you said, you know what, we're going to all be united. We're all going to screw on taillights. You would have unity, but you really wouldn't have the diversity you need to accomplish what you need to accomplish. If you were on a baseball team, you said, we're all going to get united. We'll all be pitchers. No. You need the diversity to accomplish that. And it's true in the body of Christ. We are all diverse. And our diversity is what brings about the beauty, of, the beauty of our unity. And, of course, the Corinthians were doing just the opposite. They were going after the showy gifts. And they were ignoring other gifts. And as a result, they were not functioning as the body should. And so Paul tells them and us, in the body of Christ, there is unity and there is diversity. And then secondly, in order for us to experience this unity and diversity, we need the right attitude. Now, what's the right attitude? Well, before he gives us the right attitude, he actually shows us two wrong attitudes. And we'll look at those two wrong attitudes, and then we'll look at the right attitude. The first wrong attitude is the inferior attitude in verses 15 to 20. That's the attitude that says, they don't need me. Look at verse 15. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Verse 16, and if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. Here's a part of the body that says, well, if I can't do what you do, then you don't need me. An inferior attitude. And I think that's an attitude that's prominent today. Because as I look at our society, I think we are breeding a society of watchers. We watch. You say, honey, you want to stay home tonight and watch TV? Or do you want to go out and watch a movie? Or go somewhere and watch somebody entertain us? Or go somewhere and watch a sporting event. We are watchers. I was in the airport recently. You really get watched in the airport. I mean, people are stuck there. They're sitting there. What do they do? They people watch. So you're walking along and you you glance around and everybody's staring at you. I'm thinking, I'm I'm just a guy. You know, I, I got this suitcase only because I'm not paying the 25 bucks for them to take care of it. But what's to watch? We are watchers. And that mentality, unfortunately, has come into the church. Let me tell you something. There is no gift of watching. You don't have that gift. And part of our problem in the church is that we think church happens on Sunday morning in this building. And so we come here and we say, you know, I can't do what Dan does, so I'll just sit and watch. See, the reality is church does not happen one hour a week in a building. In fact, we do not go to church. We are the church. And church happens 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so whether your gift is one that is public or private, whether your gift happens on Sunday morning or Saturday night, doesn't really matter. You are in the body of Christ, and you are to function, and you are not to feel inferior about your gift. 
And notice how Paul addresses this attitude. Notice verse 14, he says, For the body is not one member, but many. The body is not one superstar preacher and a bunch of spectators. That's not the body. The body is made up of many members. All are essential. There are no inferior members in the body of Christ. And then verse 15, If the foot says, Because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Now you got foot people. Foot, the foot kind of has it bad, I have to be honest. I mean, you, you put your foot, I do anyway, put it in a sock, put it in a shoe. kind of gets stinky every once in a while. You know, it has a, I, I think I've got an athlete's foot right now. I've never had it in my life. But now I've proved I'm an athlete. So I got this red, itchy stuff on one of my toes. I'm trying to figure out where'd that come. It's like having uh, poison oak on your toe. I'm like, must be athlete's foot. So, in that day, they walked around. What'd they do? They washed their feet all the time. Why? Because their feet always got dirty. So the foot kind of goes, <laughs> I'm tired of being a foot. I, because I'm not a hand, they don't really need me. And so he has this inferiority complex, and Paul says, what? That's not true. And then notice verse 16. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Now you have the ear feeling inferior to the eye. Now would you notice something? It's all relative. The foot wants to be a hand, the hand probably wants to be an ear, the ear wants to be an eye. Which tells me it doesn't matter where you are in the body of Christ, you can always find somebody who's doing what you do better, or somebody who you think is doing something more important than you, and there can always be jealousy in the body of Christ or an inferiority complex where you say, well, because I'm not doing what that person's doing, I'm not necessary. And Paul, notice how he shows how absurd that thinking is. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If everybody says, well, i got to be an eye to be important, we would be what? One big eyeball. And I'd say, you're looking good. And you'd say, what? And then look at the rest of verse 17. If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? If everybody said, I want to be an ear, be one big ear, couldn't smell anything, wouldn't enjoy eating, be hard to eat anyway, through your ear. See, the Corinthians were not content with the gift or the gifts that God had given them and so they were envying other people's gifts and not using their own because they felt inferior and Paul is saying that's not the case listen if you are not using your spiritual gift in the body of Christ 
you are crippling the church. It's like cutting my foot off and throwing it off to the side. I'm crippled at that point. Every member in the body of Christ is important. And if you're a foot and you're trying to do what a hand does, then we've got to train somebody else to be the foot because you're not being a foot. God needs you to be who you are in the body of Christ. You see, your gift is not an accident. God didn't just dump them arbitrarily out of heaven and you happen to have one hit you. Look at verse 18. It says, but now God has placed the members, which ones? Each one of them in the body, how? Just as he desired. If you're complaining about who you are in the body of Christ and what your gift is in the body of Christ, guess who you are complaining to? You're complaining to God because he placed you exactly where he wants you in the body of Christ. You are exactly what God wants you to be minus your sin. You plus your spiritual gift are God's masterpiece. And he wants you to do exactly what he has gifted and called you to do. You see, you as a Christian don't need to go out and look for gifts. God has already given you your gifts. You need to figure out what they are. In verse 11 of this chapter, it says he distributes to each one individually just as he wills. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are according to his will. So he has gifted you as he has desired to gift you. And we need to stop rebelling and stop complaining and stop feeling inferior and start functioning in the body of Christ the way he's gifted us. And then he kind of summarizes it in verse 19 and 20. He says, if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. To the inferior attitude, Paul says, God has put you right where he wants you, and you are vitally important. If there were no diversity, there would be no unity. So the person who's saying, they don't need me, Paul says, We need you. Second wrong attitude is the independent attitude in verses 21 to 24. And this is the attitude that says, I don't need them. Look at verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. This is the person who thinks too highly of themselves and thinks that they are independent of everyone else. That they, that they don't need them. You know, I grew up idolizing the wild, wild west and wanting to be a cowboy. When I was a kid, I mean, when you watched TV on Friday night, all you saw was westerns. So uh, you saw these cowboys, and cowboys, the star of the cowboy movie was always a rugged individualist, kind of like the old Marlboro man. You know, he was out on his own, on his horse, and he was... He was his own man, and he, you know, he, he, 
His motto was, just give me a home where the buffalo roam and leave me alone. He was a rugged individualist. You know, the problem with rugged individualism is that it's a dysfunctional way to live because it requires emotional detachment and repressed feelings and antisocial behavior and pride and selfishness. And the lonely cowboy who is romanticized in those westerns is lonely because he has few friends, he's estranged from his family, and he'd rather be around cows than people. And as I think about it, the modern equivalent to that is suburbia. We say, just give me a home in a gated community with a well-manicured lawn where a machine will answer the phone for me while I hide in front of my TV. That is dysfunctional as well. And yet we exalt rugged individualism. I did it my way. I'm sufficient. I don't need anybody. The first to display that independent attitude was Cain. He was the first lone ranger. He's the one who asked the question, am I my brother's keeper? And man has disdained the responsibility for other people ever since. And unfortunately, that attitude of rugged individualism has migrated into the church. That song, the song that typifies most of our spiritual lives is me and Jesus got our own thing going. It was me and Jesus, I got my individual spirituality going, and thank you very much, but I don't need you. Well, that's the very opposite of the way God has designed it because God has designed that each one of us is part of the body of Christ. And we are to be united and we are to be diverse and we are to be interdependent, not independent. You say, but Dan, look at Jesus. He was a rugged individualist. Well, he was in his convictions. But if you look at Jesus, he spent the first 30 years of his life living with his family. In fact, I don't even read any here in the Gospels anywhere where it says he got an apartment. Lived with his family for 30 years. Then for the last three and a half years, he was in constant companionship with the 12 disciples. You say, well, what about Paul? He was a rugged individualist. Well, read Romans chapter 16. Paul spends that whole chapter greeting people who ministered to him and ministered with him. And when he traveled, he rarely traveled alone. He traveled with Barnabas and Silas and Mark and Luke. And even when he was in prison, he was rarely alone. He writes in 2 Timothy 4.11, and he says, from prison, Luke is with me. And he's writing to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, pick up Mark and come see me. Why? Because he was not a rugged individualist. He understood 
the interdependency in the body of Christ. And notice how Paul addresses this person in verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. What would happen if the eye said, I don't need the rest of the body? You know, my eye would jump out and roll off and say, I'm going to go off and see the world. The rest of my body would be bumping into things because I couldn't see, and eventually I'd wander off and step on my eyeball. See, Paul's saying we need each other. Nobody's independent. I need you, and you need me. And then verse 22, he says, On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. What's the most important part of your body? You say, well, it's my eyes. People tell me I have nice eyes. Or it's my hands. I once had, had a girl tell me she had perfect feet. So that's, that's nice. Eyes, ears, hands, feet are nice. Do you know what? You can live without them. I can lose an eye and still live my life. But some of the behind-the-scenes members of your body are actually more important. I'm using two members of my body right now to stand up here and preach that you don't even see, and those are my two big toes. I've never tried it, but I'm told if you cut them off, you can't stand up. So those two members of the body are helping me today to stand up, and we don't give them a whole lot of applause. We, don't, we would probably never notice them unless they were gone, and then we would notice what they were doing. But they are essential parts of our bodies. And even more than that, there are parts of my body you can't see. My brain, my heart, my lungs, my stomach, my kidneys, my bladder, my liver, are they important? I can't live without them. But they're not visible. They're behind the scenes, but they're essential to the body of Christ. They're not showy. I wouldn't want you to see my liver. They're not showy, but they're actually more important more essential than the members that are showing. And it's the same in the body of Christ. I would argue that those who do a ministry of prayer, who you don't even see, because they typically go in their closet to do it, that those who do a ministry of prayer are doing a greater ministry than those who do a public ministry because we can't function without them. Without the power of prayer, we're not going to have the results 
in that public ministry. And any reasonable person is going to be more concerned about their heart than they are their hair. I know I am. Look at verse 23. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Now, what are the less honorable parts of your body? Well, I think he's talking about those parts of your body that, uh, you know, if you don't have parts that are less presentable, wait a while and you will. For some of you, it may be, uh, you know, maybe your hips, maybe your paunchy stomach, maybe your slopey shoulders. And then he talks about those that are, he talks about those that are less honorable, then he talks about those that are less presentable, and I don't want to get graphic, but I think here he's talking about those that we call private parts. We keep them clothed, we keep them behind the scenes. And we attempt to honor those certain members by clothing them. You know, you, if you've got slopey shoulders, maybe you buy something with padded shoulders and you put that on. And uh, if you're a little bit rounder than you used to be, then you try to do the stripe thing and get the stripes going the right direction so that you can kind of help yourself look better, give you more honor. This morning I decided to honor my feet by wearing these shoes give them a little honor. (laughs) At least they're getting noticed. (laughs) You see, you will go into the store and lay your credit card down and, and buy $70 of honor for certain members of your body because you want them to be, look better. You want to honor them. The more presentable parts, he says, your hands, your face, they don't need that. You see, what Paul is saying is it doesn't matter. Weaker, less honorable, less presentable, all are necessary. We are not independent of each other. Which brings us to the third attitude, which is the right attitude. And that is interdependent in verses 24 to 26. And that attitude says, we need each other. Look at the end of verse 24. He says, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Who's the greatest member in the body of Christ? Well, God has composed the body so that there is no competition. There is unity and diversity and interdependence. So who's the greatest shouldn't even be a question in the body of Christ. In fact, Paul told us in chapter 1, that in the church there are not many mighty, not many wise, not many noble, but that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 
We look around. We're not, God didn't go out and find the best he could find. He found the foolish. He found the unwise. He found those that are weak. And he brought us into the body of Christ and he made nobody somebody in him. So we don't get in the body of Christ and say, who's the greatest here? Shouldn't even be a question. We're the foolish things. Reminds me, James came to me the other day and said he had been offered a seven-day cruise leaving off the dock downtown for $50. I said, I don't know about that. He said, well, I couldn't believe it either, but I went down there. He said, I entered a little dingy office, and I said, is this true, a $50 cruise? The guy said, that's right. James laid down his $50. The guy picked up a baseball bat and hit him over the head with it, knocked him out cold. When he woke up, he was floating in an inner tube in the Mississippi, tied to the shore. There in an inner tube next to him was Chuck Martin. And James looked over at Chuck and said, I wonder if they serve food on this cruise. And Chuck said, They didn't last year. (laughs) Not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. God has chosen the foolish things to shame the wise. The greatest member in the body of Christ is the head. Jesus Christ, and there should be no competition among the members of the body because the only competition we have is who can exalt him the most. Members of my body don't get jealous over who gets attention and who doesn't, over who looks more attractive or who gets covered with clothes and who doesn't. We're all linked together. And so we have mutual concern for one another. When my stomach gets upset, the rest of my members wait up all night because they care about my stomach. When one member gets honored, if you come up to me and said, you have nice eyes, my whole body says, yes! Well, that's the way it ought to be in the body of Christ. One member suffers, we all suffer. One member is honored, we all rejoice because we're linked together in unity in him. Which brings us to the application real quickly in verses 27 to 31. Six application points. They're in your bulletin. Number one, this applies to you. Verse 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. You collectively are the body of Christ, and you individually are a member of his body, and you are responsible to maintain unity and diversity and interdependence. This is about you. Second application point. Your place in the body is God-appointed. Look at verse 28. 
And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, and so forth. God has done the appointing. You were not just arbitrarily thrown into the body. God has appointed you as a hand or a foot or a kidney or whatever you are. So don't wrestle with God about who you are. Be who you are in the body of Christ. Third, no one has all the gifts. Verse 28, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. There are all these varieties of gifts, all this diversity in the body. No one person has all the gifts. Fourth, no gift is possessed by every Christian. Look at verse 29. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Now, in the Greek language, there's two ways to ask a question. You can ask a question as an honest question, or you can ask a question that is expecting a negative answer. These questions are asked expecting a negative answer. This is asking a question implying the only answer is no. Everybody doesn't have these gifts. If so, the body of Christ would be a big eyeball or a big ear. There is not one spiritual gift that every Christian has. And that's important to understand because there are, there are those today who say that every Christian who is truly saved should speak in tongues. Every Christian should speak in tongues. Well, what does this passage say? Paul says, no. There is no gift that every Christian has. If so, we'd be one big tongue. And that would be inconsistent with the body of Christ. And then fifth, churches should seek the greater gifts. Look at verse 31 but earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now, when you read that, it almost sounds like he's contradicting himself because he spent this whole last half of the chapter saying, be who you are in the body of Christ. God has appointed you. Now he says, seek greater gifts. But again, if you look at the Greek language, this phrase is not in the singular. It's in the plural. So he's not talking to you as an individual or to seek a greater gift for yourself. He's saying we as the body should seek those greater gifts for our body. You say, what is the greater gift? Look at chapter 14 and verse 39. He says, Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak in tongues. When we get to chapter 14, you're going to see that he's going to take the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues, and he's going to compare those two gifts. And he's going to show that the gift of prophecy is the greatest gift of those two. That's more valuable for the kingdom of God than the gift of tongues. In fact, he gets to the end and he says, I want you to desire prophecy, and I've, I've talked down tongues so much, I don't want you to forbid speaking in tongues. But in comparing those two, prophecy is the greater gift. And so here in chapter 12, at the end of the chapter, he's saying as a church, this is the opposite of what the Corinthians were doing. They were after the showy gifts. He says, as a church, you need to focus on the gifts that are going to build you up 
and enhance the kingdom of God and those greater gifts. One of those greater gifts is the gift of prophecy, proclaiming the word of God. And then sixth application. The key ingredient in the body of Christ is love. Look at the end of verse 31. He says, and I show you a still more excellent way. What's more excellent than great gifts? Well, he walks us right into chapter 13. What's chapter 13 say? If I speak with the tongues of men and angels and don't have love, I'm a zero. If I have the gift of prophecy, don't have love, I'm a zero. If I give everything away to the poor and I give my body to be burned and I don't have love, I'm a zero. What's he saying? The most excellent way is love. The only way that we're going to experience what the body of Christ is in reality is by love. The only way we're going to have those attributes of all the diversity and yet unity is by love. The only way we're going to have the right attitude that says, I need you, is by love. The only way we're going to care for each other like we should, the only way we're going to rejoice when each other is honored, the only way we're going to suffer inside when someone else suffers is by having the love of Christ manifest in our lives individually and in our lives collectively. And next week, we're going to walk into that chapter of love and see the context of that chapter is right in the middle of this same idea of body life. And the most essential thing in that is love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this passage that reminds us of who we are in you. We're not lone rangers. Yes, you've saved us individually, but you've called us into a collective body, the body of Christ. Talk about not being a nobody. We are the highest buddy you could be. We are Christ's body. And we are not a dead body. We are a living body. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge us with these principles today to really be who you've called us to be in the body of Christ. Whether we get applause or not is irrelevant. We want to please you. Father, I pray that you'd help us to find our place in the body, function effectively, and in all of that, we want to be careful to give you the glory. And we give you that thanks right now. In Jesus' name, amen.